Welcome back to another episode of Acting Out. I'm Elizabeth Bliss. I'm Tyler Williams. And today we are going to talk about one of my favorite subjects, parent training. But before we get started, Tyler, do you have any updates you want to share? I graduated with my master's in ABA. Yay! Congratulations! Are you excited? I'm very excited, but also very nervous. Okay. Uh, Well, that makes sense. What are you the most excited about? Being able to create my own programming with, like, new clients. And then I'm very interested in assessments. So that is, like, at the top of my list at this point. Okay. I get that. I love that. Um, When I was transitioning from, I think... Being in like the RBT or graduate student, graduated student, like to BCBA time period is the weirdest because you don't know if you're supposed to be a almost behavior analyst or if you're supposed to be an RBT and then you don't entirely know what your expectations are and then it's just kind of murky. Do you feel like you're like experiencing the murk yes I call it limbo because you know you're right there in the middle um however like with my supervisors that I do have now they do treat me more as a BA rather than a RBT because I will get input on interventions or protocols or anything like that so I'm very happy about that um so yes I'm very excited to continue this on the upward trend as you would call it if you want to use a ABA term. We're on the upward trend here. (laughs) You are. Okay, so you're looking forward to making your own interventions, which makes complete sense because you went to school to be a behavior analyst. And then, like, kind of just doing your own thing. Um, All right, so that's what you're excited about. I don't know about you, but when I was getting close to taking my exam, besides the massive amount of studying, I had a lot of things that I was really nervous about when it came to being a BCBA. Do you have anything that you're nervous about or are you just like completely confident, cool as a cucumber? No, I don't think anybody should be cool as a cucumber at this point because one, you have to study your ass off. Um, Like literally I'm staring at my desk and I have one, two, three, four. I have four books like with, you know, that are material and then I have two study books and like a whole bunch of highlighters and pens. Um... But one thing, if we were to talk about what I'm most nervous for, it would be parent training. I find it very aversive. Okay. Well, I think that might make sense because you probably don't have a lot of experience with parent training yet. Have you done any parent training? Yeah. So we do do parent training. Um, A lot of times the BCBA is there when I do it just to give me that training But yeah, I've done some parent training. However, there are times when the BCBA is not able to make it. And then I have to step in and do the parent training. And then when when that reaches that point, that's when I just like completely shut down and it just goes all in my head and I just freak out. Yeah, I remember that. Like, because when I'll be honest, when I was in RBT or like when I was in limbo, as you call it, it was definitely not my favorite But now that I am a BCBA, it's actually my very favorite part of the entire job. So it gets better, at least in my opinion. Is there a specific part about it that, like, you struggle with or that you don't like? 
One question that I really have, and it's like killing me inside, is how to get parents more involved in treatment. Uh, We can spend all week or all day with their child, and we have those improvements. We can see the behavior reduction. We can see those skill acquisition goals increasing. But when I'm not there, how do I get the parent to do what they're supposed to do? Well, I think it starts with the relationship between you and the parent way before you start trying to teach them like our protocols or interventions. I think a lot of times we talk about our relationships with clients versus parents or guardians, and we easily forget that the client is not just the child or the person whose name is on the treatment plan, but it's also the parent or the guardian or the caregiver, or in some cases like the staff at the residential home. And we we forget that, and so we get so bogged down and like, I have to do ABA, that we forget to build relationships with people. And you correct when you say, in my, I think you're correct when you say, it doesn't matter if the kid will listen to you or if the person receiving services will listen to you 12 hours a week, if as soon as you leave, that doesn't generalize and never generalizes to the parents, the families, the guardians, or the residential care staff. That's correct. So is what you're saying is I need to make more of a relationship and good rapport with the parent or the guardian? Yes. And that's not to say that like you're doing anything wrong because I've never seen you do parent training and also you aren't a BCBA yet. So you're not supposed to know how to do everything. Sometimes you don't learn certain things until you're actually doing the job. But I think as you build a relationship with the families and as you build a relationship with those people, it becomes more likely that they are going to listen to you because ultimately, like, I don't know about you. I'm not a mom. I'm not a parent, but I have nieces. And if some lady were coming in my house and telling me what I needed to do with my niece without talking to me or knowing anything about me, I'd be miffed. Were you there when she was born? No. Did she give you little bruises whenever she decided she wanted to throw a tantrum? No. So you don't get to come in my house and tell me what's what. That is, don't, yeah. But if you come to my house or my sister's house, because I don't have my nieces, but you come to that house and you talk to me, you're like, hey, how are you? What did you do this weekend? And spend 10 minutes talking to me. I'm more likely to listen to you. Where until. Whereas I'm not as likely to listen to you if you just come in my house and start telling me what to do. Like you've been here since the day she popped out of the womb because you haven't. Okay. I see what you're saying. (laughs) I do do that. Right. I do that. That's good. Uh, Because I come in, you know, I'll get my stuff together. And then while I'm doing that, I'll sit down with the parent. I'll be like, Hey, how's your weekend? How was his weekend or her weekend? Did you do anything fun? How's the, like the weather's nice outside. Did you do anything outside? And I think that builds good rapport with them. But at the end of the day, when it comes time to teach that intervention to the parent, they don't, they're not responsive or they're not receptive to what I have to say. So, but I will, I will take that into consideration and I'll try to do more of that. Well, there's a lot of different approaches that you can take to parent training and there's a lot of different things that you can do. So, Elizabeth, what is the best way or what was your best approach to parent training? Okay, so I can't tell you what 
the best way is, but I can tell you like what has worked for me. Um, and the only thing that's really worked for me is researching the crap out of it because that's what I do. Um, so I read The Power of Positive Parenting by Dr. Glenn Latham, which in theory, I want to say is not technically ABA, but it tells, it's, it's not technically ABA, as in like it wasn't written by a behavior analyst, but it is ABA. They're just not calling it ABA. And I found that really helpful. Um, and then I also read The Seven Steps of Earning Instructional Control. I had read that from the perspective of just a BCBA or someone trying to become a BCBA, but then I reread it and thought about like how I could apply it to parents and all of those things and that's been really really helpful like I even got at one point I had a couple of families who were okay and like to the to the point where I could do this I printed out the sheets and like went over it with them and that was really really helpful um, something else that I've done is I have a couple of PowerPoints that I made in graduate school like for some of my classes and I've taken them and modified them and so before I get started with a client or before I get started with parent training I go through the PowerPoints with them and I explain what everything is so and what the process is gonna look like and I don't do that um, like I don't show them the PowerPoints I just use that as a guide that's been really helpful for me because sometimes people don't understand like what the heck is this lady coming in my house and talking about? And that's not necessarily going to work for everybody. And that definitely does not work with every family or every situation. But it does work, in my experience, a good like 85% of the time. Um, so those are like the traditional methods that I, I've used. But the other thing that I've done, and you could probably do this as well and it's a lot easier is just talking to the parents in my life like I've talked to my own parents because I have a history of needing to get various services because of my visual perception disorder and I talk to my sister and I talk to my friends who are moms that but that they don't do ABA and that was really helpful for me Okay, so when you talk to your parents and your sister and your friends that have children, what were their responses? Well, what was actually really interesting is, of course, my mom and, like, my sister and my dad are probably going to have similar responses because they all know each other. Like, my parents raised us, so they've kind of got, like, the same worldviews. But what was also interesting is that, like, my various friends who don't necessarily know each other all kind of had the same variation of the same opinion um it was basically like don't come in my house and pretend to know more about my tiny human than i do don't make assumptions about me or my parenting based off the state of my house or based off of my child's behavior and don't assume that i'm not trying everything that i can do to make things better for them even if you think you're doing it wrong because something that i've noticed and a mistake that I've made, because we're talking about this as if, like, Elizabeth knows everything. Elizabeth does not know everything and has made more mistakes in parent training than I care to admit on a podcast people will listen to. But one thing is saying that I'm coming into someone's house and saying, I'm going to do parent training can be really offensive. And that was a question that I asked, like, 
particularly my own mom and dad, because whenever I was doing my eye therapy, I had to take interventions home and my parents had to run them with me. They had to be trained so that I could make my eyes and brain talk to each other. And my mom was just like, said that it was really difficult at first because it was this assumption that she wasn't doing everything she was supposed to do, even though she was. Like the attitude of the person teaching her how to do these interventions was like, well, you don't know what you're doing. Well, no, my mom didn't necessarily know what she was doing, but she was doing everything she did know and she was more than happy to learn. Um, And so basically based off of those conversations, I've kind of came up with this blanket statement that I say that has been really helpful. And it's basically like just anytime I see parents getting frustrated or flustered or before we start any new intervention, I always just say something like, just remember me saying that I'm going to do parent training is just what I have to call this for insurance. I'm not here to teach you how to be a parent. And if the person is religious, I'll say something like, God gave this child to you. They did not give him to me. So it's not my job to be the parent. Um, If they're not religious, I'll say some other variation of that. And I'll say something else like, I'm not here to teach you how to be a mom. You already know how to be a mom or a dad or an aunt. I'm just here to teach you how to handle these behaviors to make things easier for you. Because ultimately, if we're asking them to do interventions that are going to make their lives harder without making them easier first, they have no buy-in. They're not going to want to do it. Okay, I see what you're saying. So I'm going to take all of your suggestions into consideration. And when I have parent training, you know, next time I have a session, I will use these. Because I really do think this parent wants, you know, to be involved. But it's it's just very hard for me. Um, which I think that yeah. also, that also leads into the, like the next thing, like the hardest part is being an RBT or pre BCBA in limbo, um, and giving that advice because you're not, you don't have that board certification. They don't want to hear it from yeah. an RBT or somebody that just has a, a certification with no, like, you know what, I, you know what I'm trying to say? Like there's no. Yeah. And I think that. I do know what you're trying to say because I've been there. Like, I've been there. I've been in that experience. I'm sure Zach, our producer, who's sitting in the background nodding his head a lot, I'm sure he's had very similar experiences as well. You know, sometimes families need to see the certification to know that you know your stuff. And sometimes families don't care if you're certified as lo- or if you are a stranger off the street as long as you can make things better for their kid and not have as many challenges in the, in the home. It just depends on what's important to that family. You know, some families really, really, really value the certification. And I've had parents who did, couldn't tell when I was the BCBA. And they were like, are you the BCBA or an RBT? I'm like, oh, I'm the BCBA. Oh, well, I don't really care who you are as long as you make this better. <laughs> so it just kind of depends on the family. And it sounds like you have a lot of families who it is the certification is more important to. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. If I was going to a neurosurgeon, I'd want to know they were a neurosurgeon and not a physician's assistant. So even if they had the same information. Right. But I think also parents should understand that an RBT is just like the base founding of a BCBA. Uh, So we have all the knowledge, most, well, I probably shouldn't say all the knowledge, but 
they just don't hand you have a good foundation right they just don't hand out an rbt certification to anybody so you still have to do the no. tra- you still have to do a 40 hours training course you still have to do a competency assessment and in my case my bcbas they would not put me on a case if they did not think i was competent you know what i mean so, right and you know that you know that i know that but these families they're probably going being a special needs parent looks like it's a full-time job a full-time 24 7 365 and for some families for the rest of their lives full-time job with no breaks so i think sometimes we forget that like we get to go home at the end and the reason that i'm saying we have to pay attention to that difference is they might not have the bandwidth at that particular time to think that intricately about who's who and who's doing what and what who's getting trained to do what which might be why they it's not that they don't like you or like the RBT or like the BCBA it's just if they were in a less stressful situation they may be a lot more understanding and accommodating but because they are in the situation that they're in they're not as understanding or accommodating that makes sense so I also have another question okay do you feel that you're wasting your time with parent training when they don't get involved with treatment? I'm going to need a sip of sweet tea for this. So hang on. I don't now, but I definitely have, especially it always seems to come back to the flipping pandemic, <laughs> but it does because it was such like a formidable time in my career. So before the pandemic, when I was a brand new BCBA, I definitely had times when I felt like I was wasting my time a hundred percent. But during the pandemic, I spent the first three months of quarantine doing almost exclusive parent training and not just parent training, telehealth parent training, which is really, really, really freaking hard when you've taken one course of a CEU from a lady in Italy who is also doing her very best. I don't know if any BC, other BCBAs listened to that. It was like in like the beginning of April of 2020. And it was like, here's what we're doing in Italy. Good luck. And so it was really challenging. Um, so I felt like I was completely overwhelmed. And at the very beginning, I felt like I was wasting my time. But I also, as the time progressed, figured out that the families I felt like I was wasting my time on had different values and goals for their children than I did. And once I realized that I would get more buy-in and make more progress working on what was actually important to those families in that moment, I didn't feel like I was wasting my time anymore. A lot of times, in my opinion, when based off of my experience, when we are BCBAs or we're RBTs and we're looking at what we have been trained to see as a list of deficits for a complete lack of a better word, we're like, oh, we need to work on this and this and this and this. And you know what? That does not matter to mom and dad right now. What matters to mom and dad right now can be something completely different. And we can almost kind of forget, just to bring it to a technical term, about the social validity of it whenever we get so bogged down in our assessments and so bogged down in our 
quote-unquote treatment plans that we don't see the broader perspective of what's going to make these families' lives easier and what's going to make mom and dad's life easier so that they can actually help their kid when we're not around. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, it does. So is what you're essentially saying is that we could be working on one behavior, right? And then the parent wants to see another behavior. So it our behavior that we are working on via the treatment plan is not as valid as the other behavior the parent wants to see. Well, they're both valid. I mean, I don't know any, personally, I don't know any behavior analyst who's like, you know what, I think we're going to decrease elopement when elopement doesn't exist. But I think we have to, I think we have to make parents understand what is most important sometimes by saying like, okay, I really... I know that it is extremely important to you that your child sit at the table and eat with the family, and I want to make that happen for you. But before we're able to do that, I need your child to be able to stay in the house and not elope out of the house. Because if we can get keep them from eloping out of the house, then we can keep them from eloping out of the kitchen table. So that's how we're going to get closer to your goal. And if you... I have found, and nothing is ever foolproof, but I have found if I break it down like that, that's more, if I tell them how we're going to get to their goal, that's more efficient. Does that make, I don't know, is that clear? Is that just? That's a lot more clear. So I do, I do understand that. So. One thing I did want to tell you though, is that sometimes like your goals and your values are not going to align with the family or with the caregiver or with the staff. And that doesn't always mean that the family isn't receptive to ABA. It just means that they would be better served by someone with an understanding of their needs and expectations that is better than the understanding that you have. Because sometimes there's just a clash of values so much that you you can't always fix it. And that doesn't mean that that family is not receptive to ABA. That just means you're not the practitioner for them. And that sounds extremely cut and dry, but to be clear, it can be extremely discouraging and very disappointing. And I know for sure, like 100%, I have a kid in my mind right now. I know that I completely let that family down, especially it was in my first year, and I can't fix that. Like, I don't think if that mom saw me at Sam, she'd want to talk to me. Like, I did my very best, but my very best just was not enough. And that happens, and that sucks. But that doesn't mean that they're not going to do great with ABA somewhere else. That just meant they weren't going to do great with ABA with me. So I completely understand what you're, what you're saying. Um, so I'm the only one on my treatment team that does not have kids. So I do feel like if I had kids, the parents would be a little bit more receptive to me. Um, because I've never, like, I don't deal with this personally outside of work. Like, I only work with kids, like, Monday through Friday. Um and then when parent like the other tr- people on the treatment team, they come in, they deal with this 24-7 just like the parents. Now, I'm not saying that people that have neurotypical kids and then the parents that have children with autism, uh, they do have two completely different worlds. But it's still a 24-7 job, 24-hour job. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, For sure. So they, they, they understand how the BCBA feels because they have those kids and the BCBA can kind of feel for this parents because it's they never get a break. And I get a break. I only work 9 to 5 Monday through Friday. So when I get off at 5 o'clock, I don't have to deal with, you know, behaviors or any type of situation like that. So maybe 
maybe I should have a kid and you know that might help a little bit I mean I just think I'm doing really great at anting like I just think I'm like I'm the cool aunt I give you I let you watch the things that your parents won't let you watch which uh, to be frank the niece I get to spend the most time with is four so I mean we're watching like two episodes of Bluey instead of one like it's not we're not going crazy over here but you know I'm just gonna live in the land of anting and then when I change my mind I'll let you know Okay, you let me know how that works. So I do find parent training to be the hardest part of the job. Um, So as, you know, the ethics state or, you know, you're supposed to use those layman terms so you don't overboard the parents with behavior analytic language, which I do, right? But another part is, another part that has become very hard is to, when a parent, uh, they want to, do this but I don't have any say so I still need instructional approval from a treating BCBA that has those those letters behind their name um how do you how do you handle that because I can submit the issue to the treating BCBA and I can make suggestions to that BCBA because I do have that behavior analytic coursework and you know how to find socially valid or effective research and programs but a parent I don't they still don't understand that like even if you explain the ethics to them and I need to respect the hierarchy of our field um it's that's that's becoming very hard for me as well so um previously I've worked with a client you know and they wanted their kid we'll go back to eating at the table um they won't eat they won't eat independently Um, They're very prompt dependent and they ask me, what can I do or, you know, what should they do? And I can, all I can tell them is I'll submit the issue to, you know, such and such. They have the treating, their, their names on the treatment plan. That's who makes all the calls. Um, But, you know, does that make sense? It's just, it's just very hard and confusing on what to say to them. Well, you can... First of all, I'm proud of you for thinking about the ethical portion of it because we off, we get frustrated or I got frustrated whenever I was in limbo because I was like, I know what to do and no one will let me do it. And that was really frustrating. But also there's a couple different approaches that there's a couple different approaches that I found helpful um, and that some of my other friends found helpful because I, you know, sometimes you just have to call your other ABA friends and be like, I don't know what to do and I'm really mad. <laughs> um But one thing is, like, you can say, you know, I have a lot of, to the parents, say, I have some ideas that I think are going to be really beneficial, but I want to check them, I want to check them through my supervisor and make sure I'm giving you the best quality answer. So let me talk to the supervisor and that way I can make sure that I'm telling you the exact right thing to do because you are referring to your supervisor, but you're also building the parents trust in you because sometimes I don't know that this will be the case, but sometimes whenever you're transitioning, um, in your in limbo, you end up taking over cases that you had, that you had as an RBT. And so you can already be building that faith. You know, I have some suggestions, but I want to make sure that I'm giving you the best possible solution. So I'm going to talk to my supervisor about it and we're going to come up with a plan and I'm going to present it to you with her next week. Is that cool? I understand this is really important. So I'm going to talk to her about it today. And you just build the faith. Like it's not that you're saying the wrong thing. It's like 
I hate telling people to be confident because when I was in a, when I was in limbo, they were like, "Be more confident, be more confident," and telling me to be more confident just makes me want to hit you. But you can say it in a way that sounds like you can present yourself in a way to where people get com- are confident in you, even if you don't feel confident in yourself. No, that makes sense because I mean, I've like I've said, I've been in that situation, and it it goes back to the BCBA saying, you know what you're doing, um, be more confident, but I, I can't do that because I'm breaking the ethics and I'm breaking that hierarchy. Like, but what you can do, and I understand like real talk. I understand you just finished with grad school and you're exhausted, whether you're going to tell me you're exhausted or not. And now you have to study for this exam that you think you have to pass the first time and you don't. And I'm going to just shout that from the rooftops every time I can. But the point is, you may not have the mental capacity or the energy to do this right now. And if you don't, that's okay. You don't have to. But what you could do is pretend that you are the BCBA, but not turn it into the parents. Turn it into your BCBA. Write up a treatment plan and be like, hey, I was thinking about X, Y, and Z. And it's a learning opportunity. Like, I just looked at everything as much as a learning opportunity as I could. And I'll be quite frank with you. I did not always write up treatment plan options and give them to my BCBAs or anything like that because I did not have the mental, it was just too much. But the times that I did went really well. And that's something that if you have the mental energy to do, you could do. Because I know who your supervisors are and having kind of been one and kind of being one right now, if you gave me that, I would be like, all right, so Tyler's getting his life together. Cool. All right. So let's look at this. This this works, this works, this doesn't work, but tell me how you got there. Right. So that, perfect. So I'll give you an example. Like this is when I felt really like involved. Um, When we were seeing a client that we share um, and we were talking about a protocol because a parent wants to start this intervention and then um, you and then the other BCPA that you both turned to me and was like, do you have any suggestions or do you have any concerns about what we're going to start doing? And I was like, I don't have any concerns right now, but um, I'll look into like what you want to start doing. And if I have any issues or questions, I'll come to you and then we can talk about it. Like I felt really involved and the parent was sitting right there and the parent, she was like, do you always do this with your supervisees? And, you know, you know, do you know what situation I'm talking about? Yeah, I was sitting there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Hey, it's been a long. It was. It's been a while, but I was avail- I was there. Yeah, I mean, but like... Because you were like, well, I don't know if I need to give my opinion or not. And I'm like, if I'm asking for your opinion, you can give it. Yes. Also, like, let's not lie to ourselves here. I always want your opinion. Like, I, I just think it's... This is the thing. I have this conversation all the time. And I am not a mini god just because I'm a behavior analyst. And neither is anybody else. You're certified, not god. Thank you. I'm going to put it on a shirt and possibly wear it to something. But the point of all that is to say, like, you should be able to have your opinion. And if you don't, if you're, Tyler, I'm sorry. Actually, I'm not sorry. If you're working with a kid 12 freaking hours a week and you don't have an opinion about what is happening, then something is wrong. You need to have an opinion and I need to be responsible and mature enough as a BCBA and as a human to be able to accept that you have an opinion. And if I can't, that's my problem. I'm not saying tell me your tell me your opinion right in front of mom and dad because sometimes we might have a difference and then it's a whole thing. But call me after or email me or be like, Elizabeth, why did you do that? Like a BCBA should be able to accept 
opinions from the RBTs. And if they don't, then you don't need to work for them. Right. I said it and I'll say it again. I've had supervisors like that. None that currently I work with. So um, I've been in the, the past, which I am not looking back to. Um, but yeah, I'll definitely take all of what you said into consideration. Um, also, I love how you say, I'll take it into consideration. <laughs> well, you know it's what I mean. so professional. Keep, you know what I mean. No, I know. But like, I love it. Cause you're like, I'm going to keep it in consideration. I'm like, go Tyler. Like, I like it. Like, Great professional chats. So like, you know, we can have this interpersonal conversation and we can go back and forth. But like when you're actually at a home and in a, in the field, like, Obviously, you think about what you're going to do, but you don't think about your interpersonal conversations you have with other people. Or is is it interpersonal? Yeah. Is that the right word? I mean, I think it's interpersonal. Okay. And I think that's kind of... I like that you brought that up because I have lots of opinions today. And so one of my other opinions <laughs> on the podcast where people wanted to listen to my opinions, maybe, I don't know. We'll see what happens. But I think... the Oh, the other thing I was going to say, and it comes into the interpersonal is... Another way that this is going to get easier, it really is just going to be when you're a BCBA and you have more control over your programming. But the reason that it will be easier is not just because you have more control over your programming. It's because you're going to understand the thought processes, the thought processes that led to making the choices because it's in your brain and you understand it and you don't have to ask someone to explain that to you. That makes it easier. And then you also are going to spend more time with parents and in spending more time with parents you're going to build more relationships with them and maybe you don't feel like this but whenever I was honestly in my very first year being behavior analyst and in the limbo year before I was so concerned about creating a dual relationship that I didn't I forgot that I was a human being talking to another human being like you're not breaking the ethical code in my opinion and I'm sure Zach will have one as well by pairing and building a relationship with families. I'm not saying you go to Christmas dinner and I'm certainly not saying you accept gifts, but I'm saying like, hey, how is your spending 10 minutes at the beginning of every session talking to mom about mom? In my opinion, isn't building a dual relationship. It's pairing because what else are you, that's what else are you supposed to do? Exactly. Like, oh, I only want to talk to you about your kid and I don't care about your thoughts and opinions. Well, they're a human being too. And it's like, well, if you're going to be in my house all day, could you mind? I, I don't get any other adult interaction. Please talk to me. Right. And you, you talked about dual relationships, which I think is like a whole nother topic for ethics. However, when you do, yeah, for sure, when you do this, like when you just talk to a parent for 10 minutes about their day, you're not trying to create that dual relationship but you kind of are but it's not like you're purposely doing it you know what I mean you're still building that that rapport but I mean I guess but I also don't think we're creating a dual relationship because the only thing I'm telling a parent is the most surface information about myself I'm not saying they're like oh what do you do this weekend you know what I I'm like yeah me and my husband went swimming it was really fun it was really hot did you guys do anything like that like did you guys play in the water like you turn the conversation back to the family gotcha okay Okay. I mean, I don't feel like I'm building a relationship with the receptionist as my doctor's office if it's quiet and we're both like, hey, how are you? Good, how are you? And, you know, we're waiting for the doctor and I talk to her. Like, I wouldn't say that's my friend. I would say, oh, that's someone that I had a positive interaction with. Right. Like, okay. we can't be so scared of building a dual relationship that we forget how to build a relationship. That makes sense. A professional relationship. All right. So I also kind of see it as like, when I go into a house, like, I play different parts. I play, like, the receptionist, like you said. Oh, hey, how was your weekend? Like, you you get all the information and then be like, 
okay, now I'm going to trans- transition over into therapy and then I'll be the treating tr- clinician. And then after that's all done, I'll be the receptionist again. I'll submit like the note to insurance and then, you know, I'll set up the next appointment, which is usually the next day. But yeah, I, I do see where you're Some BCBA from. somewhere is going to be so mad at me for comparing this to a receptionist. I just want to say, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with being a receptionist. And I'm not comparing what we do to being a receptionist. I think everyone has their roles. It was just an allegory. So don't come for me. But anyway, keep going. So I have another question. How do I reinforce the parent's behavior of reinforcing their child's behavior for an appropriate response? I think the question would be, are is their behavior reinforced by like typical reinforcers like social praise or not? Because most of my most of my experience I can typically, after building the relationship, we're able to find social praise as reinforcing for the behavior that I want to see, whether they know I want to see it or not. Is that something you're able to do or is that something that's like more complicated? I do think it's more complicated. How do you do it? You know... I think that that is an absolutely great question. I think what we should do is ask somebody who has more experience, and that would be Zach, because he's been a BCBA a lot longer than me. So, Zach, what do you think? Did you do a preference assessment? No. Oh, that's a good question. The premise here is that you've trained a parent to implement a part of the treatment plan. They did it as you trained them to do it, and what you're wanting to do is reinforce that behavior specifically so that they use that training again or they you know they implement that again correctly i mean let's back up a little bit the purpose of training caregivers to carry out parts of treatment plans is that when we're not there they will do that so it's twofold you're needing to reinforce their behavior in the context that they did it And you need to find a way to reinforce their behavior when they tell you that they did it and you weren't there. Okay. So. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. My, my cheeky question about whether you had done a preference assessment, the the reality is you don't typically do a preference assessment with caregivers. Um, However, when we were talking about building rapport with families before, you kind of develop um, a reinforcement value as the behavior analyst or as the RBT, when, so when you're there, the parent finds it reinforcing that you're there because they know that ultimately what you're doing is impacting their life uh, as a result of treating their child or treating you know, behavioral issues in the home or, or skill deficits and whatnot. So your presence alone can sometimes be a re- reinforcing. However, when it's not, um, you do not have to provide social praise every time that happens if you think that the parent is not receptive to you saying hey i love how you did that then don't do that in the context let it be let it air out they responded appropriately to a replacement skill for their kid you want that to happen again but you're afraid that you might punish it if you say something to them about it wait hold on to it at the end of your session you go hey by the way before when they said, I don't want to do this right now. And you said, okay, we can wait and do it later. And that was their replacement skill. I loved how you did that. I thought that was great. I'll see you tomorrow. And kind of leave that alone. I think um, 
when you when you're observing a parent implementing part of the treatment plan you have the reactivity variable and so they might be bogged down with okay the clinician taught me how to do this and now they're watching me do it and that's stressing me out and so even though I want them to know that I cared and I wanted to do it their praise wouldn't have been reinforcing in that exact moment and so if you just let it air out bring that back later that might help um you know because unless let's just say this um sometimes parents are uh way too stressed out in the moment to receive feedback or are way too stressed out in the moment to um to truly absorb what you're training them on and so if that's the case then we need to move our parent training sessions out of where they are uh in terms of a timeline in the session you know if the parent um, maybe the parents not uh, let me let me back up. I'm not my best late afternoon. So you know, if it were me, I would want someone to do that training with me early in the morning. So let's schedule the parent training outside of the session in such a way that I'm not also thinking about everything else I have to do in my house like laundry and cooking and things like that. In the morning, I'm gonna be much better. so let's do our training in the morning. Now, when you have parents who are reluctant um, to, or, or not receptive to the training, I think that you have to break down that barrier and say, listen, a really important part of ABA therapy is caregiver training. And the purpose is that because we're not here all the time, we need to make sure that the treatment plan is in place all the time. Otherwise, we're going to inadvertently reinforce the behaviors on an inter intermittent schedule. And if we do that, we're just going to work uphill and we're not going to make progress as fast as if we're all doing the same thing at the same time, right? So you remind them the importance of that and then you do the training. And sometimes you can only train a portion. Maybe, um, you know, I've worked with families where, again, we're doing a session at 2, 3 in the afternoon and by the end of the day, we're all exhausted. So it's really hard to go through an entire treatment plan. So maybe you just plan to say, okay, today we're going to go over the replacement behaviors and how you respond to replacement behaviors. How do you teach and reinforce functionally equivalent replacement behaviors? Tomorrow, um, tomorrow we're going to talk about social extinction. And, and the day after that, we're going to talk about the timeout from positive reinforcement plan, you know, et, et cetera. So you adapt to the way that that particular family structure works or that particular caregiver's uh, day is going. And you can always ask them. I asked about doing a preference assessment, an informal preference assessment is just saying, what's the best time of day for you where we can go through this? W would it be easier if we did this off-site? Maybe we need to meet at Starbucks to do the training, you know? It doesn't quite matter when the training is done. From an insurance perspective, you're performing a billable service, where, whether it's at home or it's in the community. But the point is that in order to train the parent effectively, they have to be able to attend to that. So maybe when their kid is there, doing a parent training is not as effective. Now, in your in your case, Tyler, you're not the BCBA yet, so you can't do that. But Elizabeth can do that or I can do that. So you might you might say to your supervisor, "Hey, I, you know, you asked me to go over this part of the treatment plan with the parent, and I found that it was not a great time for them and it was hard for them to attend to it and or they didn't seem very receptive to it. Could you train them outside of the session?" And then I can, 
you know, monitor that when I'm here and we can, I can model that for them when I'm here working with their kid. And then now that I've gone off on a tangent, I'll bring it back to your initial question, which is (laughs) if, if you find that it's really hard to reinforce that behavior, then try not to, because ultimately what is reinforcing about ABA therapy is that their kid is receiving therapy and, and hopefully making progress that's meaningful to them. So a lot of the times when we start treatment, we say to the parent, in addition to the deficits that we've identified through a skills assessment or a functional assessment, what are some goals that you have? What are some things you'd like to see happen? And like you said, you gave a great example of we want to be able to sit down and have dinner at the table as a family. And that, that's such a great goal. And we're not there yet. So just like you said, hey, ultimately, we're working to get your child to sit down and have dinner with the family and everything at night. That's where you say, okay, along the way to getting there, we also have to get them to be acceptable. Um, We have to get them to accept sitting at the table for mealtime in general. So we're not totally there yet, but we're working toward that and reminding them, you know, we're not here just to provide you contrived praise for following our plan, but we also want you to feel like what we're doing is important. So you might already have that level of reinforcement occurring um, without you having to provide any contrived social praise. So the answer is if they're not receptive to, I think this is like the summer, uh, the, the summation of all the things I've just said. If they don't find praise reinforcing, there is something that is reinforcing. Otherwise, they wouldn't want to continue with ABA therapy. So what is reinforcing about it? Likely the progress. So you might even just say, what a great session today. Did you see that? He answered your question in a really appropriate way, and he didn't throw a tantrum when you asked him to get off the video games. That's great progress. That might be reinforcing. Okay. See? That makes complete sense. That was a good explanation. Good yeah, job. You, yeah. <laughs> Insert applause. Keep praising me. Keep keep praising me. Keep praising me. I, I love, love that. that. You did such a great job. Thank you so much for explaining that. Uh, you know, that really meant a lot. I'm so proud of you. Congratulations. Right, is that enough or do you want more? Shut up because you're really <laughs> making me angry. You see how fast contrived praise could turn on you? So yeah. I think the other thing, Tyler, is you might just say, you, you might you might not even say anything. You might just make eye contact and give a quick thumbs up or a wink and be like, yeah. You know what I mean? Okay. That could be like a lower level of contrived social praise in response to, you know, correctly responding to the replacement skill, but it's not involving a whole, I really love the way you did that. Right. Okay. You know? So, yeah. I completely understand what Zach is saying, and that is on the top of my to-do list next time I see a parent... And I think that's going to help me a lot in the future. So thank you. I, we appreciate Zach's input on that. All right, Elizabeth, I have this question I want to pose to you. Okay, I'll try to answer. So when parents don't comply with interventions or they're not putting in the effort to follow through with interventions, how many times do you address that with the parent before it becomes an issue where, you know, you have that, you build that bad rapport, that good rapport turns into bad rapport. And there's an issue with clinician and parent, and then treatment just goes downhill, like completely. How many times do you address that with a parent? I think that's a great question. There's a lot of different ways to answer that, actually. 
Um, the number one thing would be there isn't, as far as I know, a specific number of times that you attempt something without without finding success and then just throwing your hands up. I do know that there are different companies that have different um, expectations and they have different rules. So like some companies, and again, I'm not saying that any company is doing this wrong or any company is doing this right. I quite frankly don't entirely know what the correct answer is. So I think everybody just kind of has to do it on their own. But some companies are going to say, okay, like in this treatment period, you have to comply and I have to see X amount of number of fidelity from you. And if I don't, then we're going to have a, we're going to have another period of um, retraining. And if that's not successful, then, you know, we're just not going to be able to help you. Um, and we're going to refer you to somebody else who can help you. Some companies do that. And again, I'm not saying that that's right. I'm not saying that that's wrong. I'm just saying that that's what some companies do. But what I can say for myself is the time that I'm like, look, I'm not getting through to this person is when it starts to impede parents' ability to see the progress that their kid's making or see the progress that, or impedes their child's ability to make progress is what's happened with me. Because I think of previous situations that I've been in and it's like, you know, I started off and again, this was my first year and I've made a lot of mistakes and I will continue to make a lot of mistakes because I'm a human. But I tried everything and at the beginning we had great rapport, great rapport, great rapport. And then families felt like my expectations for, I think it, it was like potty training or something, was unrealistic. And then, you know, at mom's house it was unrealistic, but at dad's house it was realistic and then there was just a continual breakdown and it just became like it didn't matter if I said your child did an excellent day today I just got stank face like they did not like me anymore and so whenever that it got to a point where it was like people weren't showing up for services or people were impeding their child's ability to make services and it wasn't again because they didn't like ABA it was because they didn't like me that's when I was like okay I am not a good fit for this family as much as I want to be a good fit for this family. And that's hard because, you know, it's hard whenever you're particularly working with this adorable human and you want to do everything you can to help them and it's just not working and you know your interventions are good but the relationship isn't there. Sometimes you just have to be like, okay, well... I'm not a good fit for you. And you have to have awkward, awful conversations. And I would suggest having conversations instead of just switching between behavior analysts cause, and not warning parents. I've seen that done and that nobody likes that. But you have an honest conversation. I don't think that I'm a good fit for you guys. And I am so sorry that I'm, I'm just not a good fit for you guys. I think we have some very different things. But there is another behavior analyst here who is wonderful and who... I think you guys have very similar personalities and I think you guys could work together a lot better than you and I can work together. And that is awful and it is hard and it is humbling and I may or may not have cried, but that's kind of the best thing that you can do because like I said earlier, there isn't a black and white, unless there's a policy written somewhere at a specific company and that does exist in some companies, like I said, there isn't a specific answer. It's just whenever 
the relationship has degraded so much you see it impede progress and you're just like okay this isn't about ABA this is about us and so if I take the us out of it you get this person can get ABA and mom and dad or grandma can be happy and they can get what they need and that is again I'm saying that as if it's this cut and dry thing it is not cut and dry it is hard to put that much blood sweat sometimes literal into someone's life and then just be like because you might have a great relationship with the kid or the client but a not a great relationship with their parents and that's hard because you you want to see your little buddy every day but you can't but you have to remember what's best for them because again this isn't about us it's about them and if it's if we make it about us then we've got a bigger problem okay well when you're when it's about us we're not complying with the ethics code just to throw that out there no um but your response your response makes sense and i you know obviously i'm not going to i can't recuse myself from this case because i i mean that's not up to me i I don't think one thing that i want you to think about is if you're ever in this situation or if you've ever been in this situation you might be able to be like you know what i can only i can stick this out for six more months before this kid moves to Albuquerque and PCSs. Nobody's moving to Albuquerque as far as I know. But you could you could say I could stick this out and in theory, yeah, you could stick this out, but are you giving quality treatment in the six months that you're sticking it out? Or are you just or are you just billing ABA? Because if you're just billing ABA, that's not good enough. That's not the kind of behavior analyst you want to be. That's not the kind of practitioner you want to be. And if they might stick it out with you for six months and then be like, that last guy sucked, I think we're just not going to do ABA anymore. So you have to think about that because it's it, it really is putting away, and I'm not saying that you're prideful. I'm just saying putting away your pride. And I'm not saying that that is easy, and I am not saying I've always done it right because I haven't and I won't. But you have to think about that. Right. And, you know, this is... Like, I'm glad we had this conversation because um, I do. It's heavy, isn't it? It is heavy. But I do think like anybody that is listening, whether it is a BCBA or an RBT or someone like me that is in limbo. Um, limbo is the worst. Yes, I know. Trust me. It is the worst. Um, but I do think they do need to hear these conversations. So I really hope that we have helped somebody get over their fear of parent training or how to deal with some of these situations in parent training. Uh, But this has helped me a lot in my limbo situation and I will take everything that we have discussed today and apply it to my work. Well, cool. That's a good segue for my favorite part of the podcast that I think might be Zach's least favorite. And that's when we have show and tell or we tell what's going on and getting us through the pandemic. So who wants to go first? I'll go first. Um, So being in limbo and of course still in this pandemic that has been going on for what, 25 months now. um, I have bought a crafting machine. I am making decals, shirts, and I am loving it. So, oh, and I'm oh my goodness. and unfortunately, you know, still have to spend that those hours, you know, studying. So I'm also reading Cooper and Bailey and Birch's Ethics. So, oh, are you? Have you read it before? Oh uh, yeah, we read it. In, I'm sure you've read it before. Yeah, we read it in school, but you know, uh, because you know, 
I'm not trying. You got to prep. Yeah, I'm not trying to be in limbo too much longer. Um, yeah. So, because I have finished my hour. <laughs> I have finished my supervision hours. So. Um, I'm so proud of you. Thank you. Um, yeah. Oh, and I'm also on uh, Amazon buying like a whole bunch of like highlighters and stuff to go through Cooper with. So. Panic shopping is my favorite shopping. <laughs> so uh, before I say this, I have to tell some really sad news. Um, do you guys, the very first episode we ever had, I said that the thing that was getting me through the pandemic was listening and re-listening to King Falls AM, which is my absolute favorite podcast ever. And after a hundred beautiful episodes, they have canceled and they're not coming back, um, due to some creative differences, which I respect as hard as it is. And I've literally cried about it. I know that's kind of ridiculous, but it was the thing getting me through. So I'm very sad. Um... But I had suggested it to people, so I wanted people to know. But listen anyway, because the first 100 episodes are worth it. And then you can just, like, I don't know, write fan fiction on your own. So, don't give up. But the thing that is supplementing that and getting me through is I have decided that I need to um, re-listen and re-watch every Harry Potter episode and movie. So I've been re-listening to the books and then re-listen and then re-watching the movies and comparing them and also texting my friends who were allowed to watch it when they were growing up and I wasn't and asking them if Dumbledore is actually the bad guy. And that's led to some really don't don't give me that look. It's just it's just a question. I think he has great qualities. I still love him, but I'm just saying, I'm just saying that I think we might I'm just don't look at me like that, Mr. Gryffindor shirt. He's literally wearing a Gryffindor shirt right now. Oh, I do have a question. Okay, so, um, side topic. You said, like, were you not allowed to watch Harry Potter due to, like, religious reasons or? Um, so, you know, I was raised um, very conservative, and I respect that 100%. And my family felt when I was growing up that it would be better if they sheltered me from anything that could deviate me from my upbringing and I respect that a hundred percent I've just decided to make some different choices as an as an adult so I'm reliving Harry Potter as a grown-up okay cool I was just curious and I'm a Ravenclaw if anybody wanted to know and, and then also have one more question because you're not a true Harry Potter fan if you're not doing this right how are you how are you watching Harry Potter like are you streaming it or are you actually using the disc I'm not using the disc, but I need you to understand. No, don't. Do not. Don't give me that look. Do not give me that look. And on this is the end of Acting Out episode four. Elis- oh, my gosh. El- Elizabeth. <laughs> Elizabeth will be replaced by a new co-host next week. And thank you. See you next week. <laughs> um, first, No. No, first of all, we're keeping all of this in, so you just need to be aware. I bought all of them on Amazon Prime, and I understand that that's not good enough, but we also have a sound system and a very fancy TV that shows all the correct black colors. Ask my husband. We had to, it was a whole thing, so I'm listening to it in surround sound on the best possible colored TV, so you keep your judgments to yourself, and if you want to buy me... I don't know all the things you can get it for me for Christmas because I won't be your supervisor anymore. So, oh my God. <laughs> Is that on Blu-ray? Yes. And I have the originals in my storage, like, like when they first came out. 
I don't have well, a, a DVD player in my entertainment system, so I just use X my Xbox to watch. Them. I don't, I don't have that. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um. Well, folks, that was a funny interlude. Yeah, Tyler. Sorry, I'm not good enough for you. Anyway. I mean, whatever. <laughs> You're not a you're not a true Potterhead, so. I never asked to be a Potterhead. I just asked to be a Ravenclaw, and that's what I am. Anyway, moving on. Zach. You can identify as any house you'd like. The Sorting Hat didn't tell you that. Zach, yet. what are you? I have no idea. I think he's a Slytherin, but only no. for the ambition. Only for the no ambition. No way. No. No, way. because they're so ambitious, and everybody listen like. I know we're, we we got to wrap this up and nobody needs to hear 45 minutes of Harry, to- Harry Potter talk, but I think the Slytherins are actually not completely awful. And no, the reason it's just for the Malfoy is, family that's are awful. Yeah, exactly. And there's ambition. I just think you're very ambitious. That's the only reason I said I thought it could be possible that you'd be a Slytherin. Only for the ambition. Because you're very why don't ambitious. They just, why don't they call themselves potheads? Because it's trying to be, I don't know... Kid-friendly, maybe? Yeah, like feasible for children. Anyway, we could talk about this too long. Zach, what's, how are you surviving the pandemic? Or whatever's going on in your life? Um, I just bought like, a Peloton. <laughs> I did get a Peloton. That has helped. Um, I wasn't trying to say I've... anything's wrong with your life. I was just saying <laughs> because the <laughs> pandemic and then like, you know, just Nothing. life. <laughs> Nothing is wrong with my life personally. I would say Great. that life life in itself is a thing. Um, I've been um, getting together with friends and playing games. Uh, specifically, we just started a Dungeons and Dragons campaign. I've been playing. Oh, cool. My character is a bard. And so I have a little keyboard that I bring and I play little sounds. It's cute. Uh, and that I also... Awesome. I also have been uh, playing in a band. We uh, had two gigs in May. We have, uh, oh no, maybe that was, yeah, they were May. And then we have uh, two gigs in July so far. Very cool. That's, That's cool. awesome. Yeah. Thank you. That's really great. I'll tell you okay. about them when they're coming up. Yeah, next we'll week. come. Next oh, week. next week I'm out of town. But, right. okay. Well, okay. That's it for today. Thank you all so much for listening, and don't forget to like and subscribe on whichever platform you're listening with. But most importantly, what should they remember to do, Tyler? Act out. Bye!